Amen. Y'all let them know how much you appreciate them sharing with us this morning. Awesome, awesome stuff. Well, every single one of us are going to come into contact with three kinds of flags in our lifetime. There's a white flag, then there is a red flag, and there's also a black flag. And let me just say red and black here is not the color of Georgia Bulldogs, all right? So everybody needs to settle down. I'm actually going to preach on that next Sunday. But this morning, I want to talk to you about the white flag. Now, whenever you think about a white flag, most of us automatically think about surrender or giving up. And really, that is what the white flag uh, actually represents. It's pretty interesting. I've got a picture here this morning of two armies opposing battles who were in war. And if you'll put that picture up, we can see that. And uh, if you'll put it up this morning, that would be awesome. Yes, very good. Uh, you actually see this is Lord Cornwallis who is surrendering to the troops of America at the Battle of Fort Knox. And you can see on one side, there is actually a white flag. Now the picture here is one in which a person gives up and capitulates to the side of the other. Now what if I told you this morning that every single person in the world actually has a white flag? And every single one of us have surrendered. And we've surrendered to something. And by contrast, when you surrender to something, you become rebellious to another thing. And this morning, we're actually going to see a couple of truths concerning this white flag in your life as well as in my life. So let's see if we can find it in 1 John chapter 3 in our Bibles this morning. If you're a guest of ours, we were going verse by verse through this study. We kind of took a couple of weeks break for Easter and then last Sunday with Kelvin Cochran. But we pick up 1 John chapter 3 verse 4. If you'll stand with me in honor of God's Word. Look for the white flag this morning as I read. The Bible says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. And little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning, and the Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. And no one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. And by this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Everyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother." Let's bow together. Father, we do thank you for your divine word this morning. We ask that you would speak clearly to our hearts. Help us to see that at all times in our lives, we're going to experience surrender. The question is, what are we surrendering to? And I pray in the name of Jesus that you would challenge our hearts to not only receive the word this morning, but also to put it into practice. And for those of us who have a personal relationship with you, God, I pray that you would use the message today to encourage them as missionaries in our community to make an impact for the kingdom, to accomplish the mission, which is to make disciples everywhere. And we'll give you glory for it. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. And everybody said, amen. You be seated this morning, if you will. Two major realities about the flag I want to give you right from the beginning. The very first one is a white flag to sin also means rebellion, listen, rebellion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who surrender themselves to sin 
are by default rebelling against the Lord Jesus. Now, chapter 3 and verse 4 in our Bible study this morning, the scripture says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. Now think about this, all right? John uses the word practices two times in that particular verse. It is a word that describes a continual, habitual lifestyle. And John's saying that if you continually, habitually live in sin, you are living lawless life. Now, what does he mean whenever he says you're living in sin? Because I kind of have to remember what we've already studied before. First John chapter 2, John actually describes to you and I how the devil, the god of this world, little g, is actually ruling his world system. And in that world system, he is driving individuals through the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. We described that together as we were studying. You and I are born into this world system, fallen at birth. We are involved in the routine of the enemy and his world system. We're involved in a lifestyle that literally is driven by our feelings. Whatever feels good, we do it. That's the lust of the flesh. And then we continue to get involved in that routine, and we're driven by the lust of the eyes. Whatever we see is what we desire. Whatever we look at is what we envy. Whatever we desire, we're filled with jealousy. We begin to make decisions based upon that envy and jealousy without any consideration of the consequences to come. And then at the same time, we're involved in constantly bragging upon ourselves. We think the world is a parade and we are the only float. So we are always trying to get people to look at us. That is a habitual routine that the enemy has designed on the scope of the globe to get people involved. That is the culture that the devil himself has created. We are born into that culture because we are born fallen and if we remain in that culture, what we have done is we have continued to surrender ourselves to the world system. Now watch this. In doing that, we literally are opposing the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in rebellion to his authority and to his way. Now it's interesting, as you look at the verse, he actually describes this idea of practicing sin as being involved in lawlessness. Now, I bought an eyeball for just a moment. There's a great synonym for the word lawlessness, and that synonym is anarchy. And you know what anarchy is? That is living as if there is no authority. You do whatever you desire to do, whenever you desire to do it, however you desire to do it. That is an anarchist lifestyle. No one governs those who are involved in anarchy. Now, I want you to think about this. I had an opportunity on one occasion to actually go to Bangkok, Thailand. I got off the aeroplane. I don't know why I put an O on that airplane, but anyway, the aeroplane, it was a legit one. But anyway, I got off this airplane and uh, we caught a cab. Me and my buddy were there. We were going on mission, doing some preaching and whatnot. And anyway, we hailed a cab, encouraged it to come over. It wasn't one of the big yellow cabs like you might have in your mind right now. This is actually what they called a tuk-tuk. All right, a tuk-tuk is basically a go-kart with an umbrella on top of it. Are y'all with me now? You got it in your mind? And so here it is, this cat drives up next to us, slams on the brakes, and encourages us to get in. He had beady eyes, it was dark outside, he had one long hair about this long hanging from his chin. We got in, <laughs> which makes no sense why we did that looking back. But as we got into this tuk-tuk, we began to go as fast as that little thing would go. He had it wide open. The amazing thing is there were no yellow lines on the roads. There were no traffic lights, no stop signs. He was weaving in and out of traffic, other scooters, other vehicles, other cars, trucks, and even these massive Big Mac trucks. 
Horns were blaring absolutely everywhere. The sounds of traffic were the loudest I had ever heard them before. We were in fear for our life. Are you listening to me say yes? You couldn't tell where people were coming or going. You couldn't tell what was going on. All I know is I got caught up in my prayer life. And I hugged my friend very tightly. Are you with me? It's like, come here, brother. I love you. But anyway, so that's what we did. I got a nap flying around my head. Are y'all with me? But that's what we did. Now, could you imagine, by the way, because what if I, what if we just wrecked and died? It would have been like Baptist preacher dies in a tuk-tuk in Bangkok. That'd be a good heading, wouldn't it? But that's what happened. Now, whenever we got back to America and I got back into my vehicle, I was so fired up. Yellow lines on the road never looked so pretty. Are y'all listening? I was like praising the Lord Jesus for that red light up there. Thank you, Jesus, for that stop sign. Those things that make us ill now, go to Bangkok, you'll fall in love with them. Are you listening? Because whenever you have rule, whenever you have authority, it actually breeds peace. But when you do not have rule, when you do not have authority, it actually breeds chaos. And individuals who have surrendered themselves to this world system, the enemy wants to try to convince you that you are living outside of anyone's authority. He's actually trying to convince you that Jesus doesn't have authority over your life. And that is why individuals who live in a habitual state of sin are often driven not only by je uh, jealousy, envy, and strife, but they're also driven by hatred. And as a result, they begin to make decisions not that will best suit other individuals, but will best suit themselves. That's why so often in our own communities, marriages are failing. That's why children and teenagers are turning away and living as if there is no authority. But here's the amazing thing, okay? The enemy has fooled people. Jesus is king over the universe, and he has absolute authority over all things. So whether a person recognizes it or not, while they're here upon this earth, does not mean the authority does not exist. The existence of the authority of Christ is not determined based upon your belief system. And so individuals today are living in rebellion to Christ, doing their own thing, saying the Lord will not be boss or manager over me. But the amazing thing is that those who die living in a constant state of habitual sin will actually stand before the very one they've rejected all their lives. And the authority of Jesus Christ will determine the outcome of their soul. And that will occur, the Bible says, at the great white throne judgment when a man's deeds will be weighed out before the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will find that he has sinned and rebelled against the Lord Jesus. And in that moment, the gavel will hit the stage and that individual will actually be sentenced to an eternity separated from God in hell, paying for the sin of rebellion for eternity. Now, as we look at this text of Scripture, what we find here is that this white flag to sin is rebellion to the Lord Jesus Christ. But what if we take the white flag for a moment? I want you to think about this. All of us are born in the world system. Many of you, like me, at one point in your life, heard the gospel of Jesus, and in that moment, you turned from your sin. And what you did when you turned from your sin is you took your white flag and you surrendered it over to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You made a determination that you would no longer desire for the penalty of sin to loom over your life, and that you wanted to trust what Jesus Christ did for you for the payment of the penalty of your sin. That is surrender. You gave up to the authority of the one who holds all authority. Now notice what the Bible tells us in verse 5 here as we see the white flag to Jesus 
means rebellion against sin. Verse 5, the Bible says, you know that he appeared, and I like this. Who's the he, by the way? Somebody say Jesus. All right, now let me ask you again now that y'all know the answer. Who's the he? Yeah, it's Jesus, all right? So Jesus appeared. Why did he appear? Well, in order, verse 5, to take away sins. And in him there is no sin at all. Now think about this. John is saying Jesus came to take away sins. Now you and I realize that God is sovereign over all things. He sees uh, literally all things at one time. And in his omniscience, his all-knowing ability, he understood that men and women were actually going to fall to sin. And so as a result, he saw us in our dead state. Ephesians chapter 2 says we were dead in our trespasses and sin. He saw you and I bound up by our own sin, tied up around our hands so that we could not praise him, tied up around our feet so that we could not run to him. That is the state of those who are living in habitual sin in their life, tied up. There is no freedom in sin. They're actually bound by sin. John says, Jesus saw us, and he came to take away sins. Now, now what is this depicting? This is depicting the fact that Jesus did not bemoan our situation, but instead he came to fix our situation. Jesus left the comforts and the glories of heaven, came to the earth, lived a sinless life over 2,000 years ago, went to the cross at Calvary, and there it's as if he took your sins and my sins and the sins of every single person who's ever breathed the breath of life in his own hands, and then he took the sins, imagine them written upon a sheet of paper, all of your sins. He took your sins, he bound them up in his own hands, and there on the cross at Calvary, God the Father allowed his son Jesus to be penalized for our sin. He died for us. So literally, Jesus came. Well, he appeared for this reason. He manifested himself upon the earth. That's the word appear. He manifested himself here so that he might take away the penalty of our sin. Now, here's the unique thing. When you take your white flag and you realize that you are a sinner before Almighty God, that you're involved in the world system and you need salvation, and you transfer from sin over to the Savior, it is in that moment that God, by His grace, erases the penalty of your sin which you deserve, which is death and hell. He does that because of Jesus. So you now have the penalty of your sin taken away, but here's something else. Whenever you surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches us that you actually receive power to overcome sin. Now think about it. Although you are surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ as a follower of his, the world system is still begging you to get entrapped in what they've got going on. That's called temptation. And the only way that you or I can overcome the power of sin right now, living in this life, is that we daily, constantly, minute by minute, every single time we are tempted, surrender ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we surrender to him, we experience it all over again, the ability of Jesus to take away sin. It's amazing how the Lord makes this occur in your life as well as in my life. But I want you to see the next verse, verse 6. This is a sticky verse. Y'all ready for a sticky one? Say yes. 
The reason this is sticky is because this has caused heartache for many people in life. Verse 6, the Bible says, no one who abides in Jesus sins. Hey, quick vote. Can everybody look at me eyeball to eyeball? All right, let's vote. Did you sin this past week? If you did, would you please slip your hand up all across the building? Be honest. I know you. There it is. God bless you. I'll come get you, bro. All right. Everybody has sinned. I've got my hand up with you. But as we read this text of Scripture, no one who abides in Jesus sins. Now, based upon your own admission and mine, we've all just said that we sin. So does this mean that none of us actually know the Lord? Or does John have something else in mind here? I'm so thankful that he does. Aren't you? Say amen. Uh, as a matter of fact, he is not saying that a true follower of Jesus does not sin. For if he said that, he would contradict what he's already written in 1 John chapter 1, where he says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So there it is in 1 John chapter 1. So what is this talking about? Well, it's actually in the Greek grammar given to us in the present tense, which literally means it is an ongoing habitual lifestyle. So this is the picture, right? John is saying that if you have truly surrendered to Jesus, now look at me eyeball to eyeball. If you have truly surrendered to Jesus, you will not live in a constant rebellion to Christ, surrender to sin. If that is your habitual lifestyle, then you're giving evidence you have not genuinely surrendered to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He changes you, he changes me. And then he goes on here, says, no one who sins have seen, no one who sins has seen him or knows him. Now, this is amazing. Because here, John really has shown us the white flag. Let me kind of give it to you again, because y'all seem to pay attention better when I wave something. Y'all listening? He's giving it to us, all right? We're born into sin right here. Automa everybody's got a white flag. We're automatically born into sin. We are surrendered to sin. We're involved in this world system. And then all of a sudden, by God's divine grace, he spoke the truth to us. We heard the gospel. Uh, our blinded eyes were opened. We took our white flag and said, no longer will I surrender to sin anymore because sin is only carrying me off to death in hell. What I want to do now is surrender to Jesus. And so whenever I surrender to Jesus, I am forgiven, given new life. But even in this state of surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, involved in absolute dependence upon Him, involved in spiritual growth and maturity, this is the routine of the believer's life, involved in dynamically seeking to influence the lives of other people, this is what a believer does, walking with the Lord, absolute dependence, spiritual maturity, dynamic influence. As I'm doing that, the enemy still encourages me to come back on over. Not into a state of lostness again, but into a state where you are not as effective as a member of God's kingdom as you could be. So you're not, you're, listen, you're not going, oh, I'm not saved, now I am saved. Well, now I'm not saved, now I am. That's not the picture. Picture is if you're a follower of Jesus, you're still going to be tempted to sin. That's why Paul the Apostle says in the book of Romans, do not let sin be master over your life, whereby you obey its lust and desires. So Paul is saying, you who are followers of Jesus, don't let sin continue to tell you what to do. If sin tries to tell you what to do, remind sin who your new boss is. It's Jesus. Are y'all listening to me preach? I'm preaching up here whether y'all was aware of it or not. 
But there is a white flag. Everybody's got one, which leads me really to my third statement this morning, which is a very simple statement. Everyone waves a white flag. Everybody does. Everybody does. Not only those who show up to church, all right, even people in the community who have no access to church, they just don't go. Maybe they've never even listened to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't pay attention. They still have a flag. And they still are waving that flag. And I love how John warns you and I in verse 7. Look at it real quickly. He says, little children, make sure that no one deceives you. All right, now look at me. To be deceived means to be tricked. means to be duped, all right? Deception, though, is not just right in your face, or it wouldn't be deception. It is very slick. John, remember, when we study our Bibles, are y'all listening and say yes? A little free information. When we study our Bibles, we have to study it within the context in which it was written. The historical context. John is writing this to a group of believers for a purpose. He's writing to them so that they can know that they are genuine converts. And so at the same time, they will not be fooled by the false teachers who are coming in among them. Now, you may remember we talked about this earlier, but if not, refresh your course. There were people of a Gnostic tradition, G-N-O-S-T-I-C. It comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. All right? They were of a Gnostic the uh, theology, a Gnostic philosophy. 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 I read it like it was spelled in my mind. Can I get a witness right? But there it is. That's what, so what did they teach? Now, here's what they taught. Now, I want you to imagine for just a moment, all right? All of us have gathered together, and we live back in the second century, and we're all brand-new believers, and John has written us a letter, and we've had all these guys coming in to preach to us, and here's what they're preaching. They're saying, oh, Jesus was not real. He only appeared to be real. You see, our flesh is actually evil, but our spirits are internally good. Therefore, you can follow Jesus and do whatever you want with your flesh. So they were arguing to live in such a state of anarchy. In other words, give yourself over to sin, and you can still claim to know Christ. So my man John writes us a letter. We're all together. We're all confused. What are we doing with these guys who are preaching this stuff? And John says, don't let anyone deceive you. Do not be duped. And then he goes on and actually tells us in verse 7, he says, the one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. So what is John getting at? He's saying, listen, these guys who are saying you can know Jesus and live in total sin habitually and continually don't actually know Jesus. If they knew him, they would live righteous lives. Now, I bought eyeball because this is pretty wild. The Bible says... Are y'all with me? Y'all big fans of what the Bible says I am. Y'all with me? The Bible says there is no one righteous. No, not one. The Bible says that your righteous deeds and my righteous deeds are like filthy rags in the sight of God. So how is it now that this verse says those who know the Lord live righteously? We have no righteousness to live by. Here's the great truth. When you surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches us that by the grace of God, God actually deposited the perfect righteousness of Jesus into your spiritual bank account. And because of this righteous, holy deposit, when you are tempted, you can now make withdrawals, not from your righteousness, but from the righteousness of Christ. And you can respond based upon his righteousness. And whenever you not only are tempted, but whenever you are then seeking to 
fully trust Jesus, seeking to grow spiritually, seeking to influence others for the kingdom's sake, you are not doing that based upon what you've got worked up in your life. It is all based upon the righteousness of Jesus coming out of you. It's a beautiful picture. That's why, are y'all listening? This is free right here. Free, 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 free. 1 Corinthians 3 says that when you as a believer die and stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, all of your works will come before Jesus. Those things that you spent your life on that made no hill of beans whatsoever will be burnt up in the fire. That's the fire of God's judgment, not hell. And those things that were of value will be brought forth as stones of great price. Now think about this. The works that you do, the righteousness that you display, you didn't actually come up with them. All you did was surrender to Jesus. And in surrender to Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, He lived that out through you. That's why when you receive those stones of great price, those crowns of accomplishment, that's why the book of Revelation says you will cast them back at the feet of Jesus. Now why are we doing this? Because we realize we didn't earn them to begin with. Now think through that, all right? So here he's saying if you're a genuine convert, you're going to practice righteousness. In other words, he's saying quit listening to those false teachers. They have no clue what they're talking about. They don't even know the Lord. Now, righteousness, how does it show up in your life and my life? Here's how it shows up ultimately. And we'll see it in a text in just a moment. It shows up in our love for one another. Y'all listen. 1 John, the rest of 1 John, it's pretty amazing. I've already been studying it. Man, we're going to talk about love more than I've ever talked about love in my life. Y'all listening? I'm hoping I'll be able to preach something different every weekend, but it's all about love. The reason that we display love to one another, to those who are lost without God, we love them. To those who are in their sin, maybe even if they're in the sin of homosexuality or lesbianism, we love them. Maybe they're in the sin of adultery, we still love them. We love those that we work with. We, work, we love those that we play with. We love those that we live with. How do we love people so much? We do so because we have received such great love from God. God now having poured his love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, surrendered over to Jesus Christ, it shows up in our love. Shows up changing our attitudes towards people. It shows up in changing our actions towards people. Those who have genuine faith will display God's kind of love. And those who display God's kind of love will find themselves serving one another, not selfishly, but selflessly for the betterment of the glory of God. And that's what he's getting at in verse 7. He says, just as he is righteous. Verse 8. Now, he notes here. I love this, all right? Y'all ready for this, say yeah? The one who practices sin is of the, what's your Bible say? All right, let's try that again, all right? If you, if you don't have a Bible, just say what they said around you. The one who practices sin is of the, for the, has sinned from the beginning. Now, this is interesting, all right? Those who practice sin are of the devil. That's pretty strong, don't you agree? Here's the reason they are of the devil. They are born in the world system, which is opposed to God. They're involved in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. That's their routine. The little G God of this world is ruling their life, and that is a result of their attitude and their actions. 
Those who continue to live in that habitual state are giving evidence that they're of the devil. Now, this would almost be a verse that would not only rattle us, but we would say, man, there's no way Jesus would have ever taught something like this. No, no. Eyeball to eyeball, look at me hard. Jesus walks into the temple. Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes are there. You know them. They were always dogging the steps of Jesus. They were the religious elite. Want to see somebody who was close to God? Everybody say, go see a Pharisee. Go see a Sadducee. Jesus, standing toe-to-toe with them on one occasion when they were opposing him, said, if you, listen to this, loved God, you would love me. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What is that righteous activity display? Starts with the L and ends with the of. Love. If you love God, you, Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes, you would love me, but because you do not know God, you have not received me. And you, listen to what Jesus says, you are doing the works of your father who is the devil. He has been a murderer from the beginning, and so are you. Now think about this, all right? Everybody still with me? Say yeah. Jesus had a disciple named John. John wrote 1 John. Could it be that in his own spiritual imagination, he looked back at that time with Jesus when they were in the temple, and Jesus with great boldness says, you're doing the works of your father who is the devil. And by the way, when he made that statement, think of the air that would have been sucked out of the room, man. Because those were the religious folk. So now we see John saying, if you practice sin, it's because you're of the devil. Now, I would say to you, by the way, just for free, because this is awesome too, the devil has sinned from the beginning. Look at the preacher eyeball to eyeball. God, everybody listening say yes. We'll drop the plow right here a little bit deeper. Listen closely. God did not create the devil. God created Lucifer, an angel who actually guarded the throne of God. Lucifer, however, according to Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12, chose to rebel against the authority of God. He took his white flag and he took it away from Christ and he surrendered to his own choice of sin. And the Bible says in that moment that Lucifer was cast down out of heaven. He fell to the earth. He is now Satan. Listen, listen, listen. God did not, God did not create sin. There are those who argue that even in theological circles. God did not create sin because there is no sin in him. If God created sin, he would no longer be holy, nor would he be just. God created Lucifer, who rebelled, and in rebellion, because there was now the absence of holiness, now sin came into existence. God did not create sin. Sin is the absence of God. Now, the devil in the Garden of Eden does what? He goes to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, who were born with a nature that was already connected to God the Father. And he encourages them, hey, 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 take your flag, surrender to what I'm saying. And that's the decision they made. They surrendered their flag over to the devil, and in that moment, they broke their relationship with God, 
And the Bible says in the book of Romans that because of one man's disobedience, all of us now are born in disobedience. Now, some of you are like, that's not fair. Very quickly, think about the CEO of Enron. A massive corporation, thousands of employees, but because of that man's sin, even the janitor lost his job. Because of Adam's sin, all of us now are born separated from God. But aren't you glad the book of Romans doesn't stop? It says that through the obedience of one man, the many are made righteous. That's why Paul describes Jesus as the second Adam, because that's what Jesus came to do. Now, I will tell you that the source of anarchy in our culture, just as it was in John's culture, is the devil himself. But look at verse 8, the second part there. The Son of God, who's that? Somebody tell me, I forgot who it was. Yeah, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. What was the work of the devil? The work of the devil was to rebel against God. And so Jesus appeared. He was made manifest to do what? Not only take away our sin, but also to destroy the works of the devil. Now, this is a beautiful picture because the idea here literally gives the imagery of setting someone free who was once tied by the hands and the feet. Are y'all paying attention? When you were born, you were tied up by the hands and by the feet through your own sin. But one day you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, didn't you? And the moment you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, even the very works of the devil who had you all bound up were set free. And those hands that once were unable to raise and praise the Lord Jesus Christ are now are free to go. Those feet that were once bound up and unable to do the things that God desired were now set free. Now you can walk in God's divine plan. Listen, that's what Jesus did. It's all about our flags. Everybody waves their flag. The question is, where are we waving our flag? Let me give you verse 9. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. That is, the true convert has God's seed in him. Now, real quick, what in the world is that talking about? You got God's seed in you when you came to faith in Jesus. I mean, what, what's happening here? Here's the picture, all right? A seed, even a seed that you place in the ground at home in your garden, is a life-giving seed. God's seed now abides in you. This is saying God's life now abides in you. And that's why if you've genuinely been born again, genuinely surrendered to God, you will never live in a constant habitual state of rebellion to the Lord Jesus Christ because you can't. Y'all still with me? Yeah? Verse 10, by this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Don't you love John? He's like, it's plain, man. It's obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. What, what is this? There's that love concept again. Now, everybody with me? Come back with me. Come back with me. Come here. Y'all with me for real this morning? I'm trying to find out. Look at me back there. Y'all back with me on the back row back there? I'll see y'all. God bless you. Look right here. Look right here. 
He's really pointing the finger at all these Gnostic teachers who are saying, do whatever you want to with your body. Your spirit's good. But in doing whatever you want to with your body, guess what you do? You always not only sin against God, but you sin against others. When you do whatever you want to with your body, that means, man, if somebody makes you angry, you're going to cuss them out, you're going to hate them, you're going to hold a grudge. Somebody has something that you don't have, you're going to be filled with rage and jealousy and envy. You may even go to the point where you steal. You begin to hurt. Uh, but, 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 but. When you are born again and the seed of God resides within you, that is no longer your attitude, nor is that your activity in life. The seed of God now abides in you. And that seed, that life, that righteousness shows up in the fact now that you love your brothers and your sisters. Just in case my sister watches this on YouTube. Now, what is this love? That's what I can't wait to talk to you about. But if you have genuine faith, everybody look at me eyeball to eyeball. If you have genuine faith, listen, listen, you will love other people. And if your love is legit, it'll show up in how you serve people. That's the layout. Genuine faith creates genuine love which shows itself in genuine service. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's pretty interesting. You, you, just, just for free, think about somebody who says, you know, I love you, I just love you, I just love you so much. But then you're in need. And that man who said he loved you, he's not there to help you in your need. Well, he don't love you. <laughs> Y'all aren't listening. Because if he loved you, he would help you. Oh, my goodness. All right. I'm going to come on. Somebody say it again. Here's what I said. I got I'm going to preach it next week. <laughs> come on back is what I'll say. All right? Everybody's got a flag. Check this out. Everybody's got one. Whether they realize it or not, spiritually speaking, they got a flag. And they have surrendered to something. And whenever you surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, now check this out. The Bible says that you become an ambassador of the kingdom of God. An ambassador is somebody who speaks on behalf of one country to another country. So now I am in the country of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's as if, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God himself is begging people through me to encourage them to surrender their lives no longer to sin, but come over here and surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. That's why our mission is to make disciples everywhere. Because whenever you genuinely surrender to Jesus, you get over here where Jesus is and says, Jesus, what, what would you have me to do? Uh, Jesus says, well, here's what I have you to do. I will have you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always. Is this what you want me to do? I'm not a pastor. Didn't call you to be a pastor. Called you to be a missionary. Uh, y'all aren't, did y'all just see what I just did right there? That was like the Lord and you. <laughs> so now, this is why our mission is to make disciples. Because we realize in our community, Hall, White County, Habersham County, all the uh, Lumpkin County, we know that there are people out there who have spiritual flags who are still surrendered to sin. And they stand this close to the edge of hell for all of eternity. And you and I run from this area over to here. And we beg people to come to faith in Jesus. 
That's why we make disciples everywhere. That's why 777 is a vision of Concord, that we will be involved in seven countries internationally, that we will plant seven church campuses locally. Why are we doing that? Because we know there are people in White County who need to surrender to Jesus. Because we know we, there are people in Habersham County who need to surrender to Jesus. No, there are people in Lumpkin County who need to surrender to Jesus. God did not save you so you could come to church every Sunday and listen to preaching. God saved you to go and make disciples. And if you're not involved in what God's kingdom is involved in, make sure you've really surrendered. Do not deceive yourself. You can't claim to know Jesus and live a lifestyle of habitual, continual sin. See, this thing of following Jesus, everybody's got to get it all wrong. They think following Jesus is coming to church when it's convenient to their lifestyle, as long as they don't have anything else going on. That ain't, that's not following Jesus. It's not even just about you showing up at church. It's about you living a life as a missionary wherever God's planted you. And you seeking to make disciples. You, 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 you. Now, listen, listen, can you imagine that? Could you, and I know everybody doesn't have a flag like this, but could you imagine if we all did and we just ran out of this community and said, Come to Christ! Surrender! That's our call. Listen, we're a lot louder together than we are individually. Let's bow together. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us surrender to you, to follow you. I pray for those who are here this morning who've not yet genuinely surrendered. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you've not genuinely surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, here's your opportunity this morning. The Bible says you turn from sin to the Lord. So right where you are, just admit, say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. This morning I'm turning from my sin, placing my trust in you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for getting up from the grave. Now help me to live a life set aside for you. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, we're celebrating baptism our next hour. I think we've got about five or six to baptize. Very fired up about that. But here's why we baptize. We baptize because the Bible says so. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. There it is, baptize them. First step of obedience for a new believer of Jesus is to be baptized. So if you've not experienced that, in a moment we'll stand to our feet. I'll be here in the front, other pastors as well. We'd love for you to step out of the place where you've been seated. Come forward. We want to pray for you. We'll set you up an opportunity. The days ahead to be baptized. Everybody here be fired up about your decision. Or the Lord may be calling you to join this church body. Partner with what God is doing through Concord to reach others with the gospel. And God's placed that upon your heart and you sense the leading of the Holy Spirit for you to partner with this church. And I'm going to encourage you to come during this time of invitation as well. But most of all, let me encourage you. Listen, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. Stay surrendered to Jesus. Walk with him. Walk with him. Walk with him. Speak on his behalf. Father, we thank you. Look forward to what you're going to do in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand right